Turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. There are still a couple Bibles, I think, on the welcome table. If you didn't bring one with you, love to have you track along with us in God's Word. But this morning, we're continuing our study through the book of Nehemiah. Today, we're looking at part one of a study I've titled, How God's Work of Revival Began. Our main text is Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. But let's read the second half of verse 73 in chapter 7. And then verse 1 of chapter 8 as we begin our study. Nehemiah chapter 7, the the second uh, part of verse 73 says, When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. In chapter 7, we were reminded of how the Lord had stirred the hearts of about 50,000 Jews to, to be the first to return from exile 92 years prior to this. Those first exiles, as we considered last week, being an example of faith to the Jews there presently in Nehemiah's day. But, but now, with the introduction of this man named Ezra in the beginning of chapter 8, we, we really have another reminder and example of the faith of others. See, 13 years before God stirred Nehemiah's heart to leave Shushan and, and go to Jerusalem to help rebuild the city and take away the reproach of the people, God had stirred Ezra's heart to leave Babylon, where he'd been living, to go to Jerusalem to help rebuild the spiritual lives of the people, and in him leaving Babylon, he led a second group of exiles back to the land with the blessing and authority and provision of King Artaxerxes. Check out what we're told in Ezra chapter 7, verses 8 through 10, after we're given a list of those who were coming with, or, or some at least who were coming with Ezra says, and Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. This is a reference to King Artaxerxes, Longimanus. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra, notice, had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Verse 10 tells us what God had stirred Ezra to do. We might say that Ezra experienced sort of the reviving work of God in his own life. And and this is what really caused him to want to uh, leave Babylon, where he was living, to, to go back To Jerusalem, which again, even at this point in time, was not all put together. Jerusalem still lying in ruins. But what Ezra found once he was in Jerusalem was that many of the people, including many of the priests and Levites, 
who had come many years earlier, had intermarried with the, with the pagan people of the land, which was a recipe for the Jews really to head back into idolatry all over again, as they had so many times in the past, and experienced the, the judgment of God because of it. And this created a great brokenness in Ezra to where he cried out to the Lord and confessed the sins of the people to the Lord. We see a little bit of Ezra's prayer. I want to show you a little bit of that in Ezra chapter 9, verses 8 through 9. And we're told there in his prayer, he said, And now for a little while grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia. Notice, to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. In Ezra's prayer there in chapter 9, again years earlier, he prayed twice for the Lord to do a work of revival in the people, and he included himself in that prayer for revival. As we notice, he said, revive us, us. And now after years of Ezra being there among the people, teaching them God's word, wanting to see them walking in obedience to God's word, wholeheartedly worshiping the Lord, we see God honoring, I believe, the faithful ministry and prayers of Ezra in the work of revival he begins to do in this chapter of Nehemiah. Ezra had gone to Jerusalem with the intention of directing people back to the word of God and into the worship of God. But the broken down state of the city of Jerusalem, the walls and the gates being in ruin, hindered some of that spiritual work God was wanting to do through Ezra's ministry until years later when God brought Nehemiah and used him to help lead the people to rebuild and restore the walls and gates of the city. See, a work of internal preparation had already been taking place in what God had been doing through the ministry of, of, of Ezra for, for years now at this point, preparing the people for what God ended up doing when Nehemiah came and rallied the people to put their hands to the work of rebuilding the walls and gates, and now preparing the people to receive and rejoice in and obey God's word in the renewal and revival he was about to bring to his people. And so with all that context in mind, let's read verses 1 through 3. Now all the people, again, gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate, from morning until midday, before the men and women, 
and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. If you're unfamiliar with sort of the the national life of the people of Israel, a lot happened for the nation of Israel in the seventh month of their national calendar. See, on the, the first day of the seventh month was the Feast of Trumpets. Then on the tenth day of the seventh month was the Day of Atonement. And then finally, on the 15th day of the seventh month, kicked off a week-long feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. All of these and all the other feasts can be found in Leviticus chapter 23. With, with the seventh month having come, the children of Israel being in their cities, we find now in verse 1 that the people gathered together as one man. There was sort of this united effort here to come together in the open square that was in front of the water gate. No, no doubt gathering as part of the Feast of Trumpets that was to take place that day. And they told Ezra the scribe, a scribe being someone who copied, made copies of the law of God, someone who was very much familiar and had a great respect and honor for the Word of God. They told Ezra the scribe, look, bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. Now, the book of the law of Moses would have been the Pentateuch. It would have been Genesis to Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament, of which we call the Old Testament. They tell him, look, bring the book. Notice that it was the people who wanted to hear God's word. So there's this renewed hunger, there's this renewed desire for the word of God that compelled them to tell Ezra the scribe to read God's word to them, which shows us that before they even heard the word and, and, and will respond the way that they do later this day, that the Lord was already working in the hearts of the people to want to know what God said to them. You know, a, a lack of physical hunger shows that something's wrong, right? That something's off in our physical health and well-being when we don't have an appetite. Something's, something's not quite right in our system. And in the same way, a lack of spiritual hunger for God's Word shows that something is wrong, something's off in our spiritual health and well-being. And I'll, I'll just be honest, I found myself in times in the past not super hungry for God's Word. I can remember years even of my life in my early adulthood and, and young adult sort of years of just the Word of God really gathering dust on my, on my shelf. And I grew up in a church that really you know, they, they taught the Bible expositionally, they, 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 they respected the Word of God, but I didn't see how badly I needed God's Word in my own life. And I can remember now looking back and like, man, the struggles that I experienced at that point of my life, the, the lack of victory that 
there really is a correlation, as the psalmist would say, Lord, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's a correlation between getting God's word into us and experiencing the kind of victory over temptation and sin that the psalmist experienced in his own life. I can remember a time when I had really blown it. And it just felt like, man, I couldn't have been any more distant from God. It felt like God was a million miles away from me. I felt just so almost cut off. And, and just being in that place, like, man, God, like, what is this thing? And I knew that it was my sin that had damaged that fellowship with the Lord. And I just, and I don't even remember if there was like a moment in time, I just remember that God was, started to do something in my life. I started bringing my Bible to work with me, and on my lunch break, I would go and I would start to read. And I just, God did something. God did something in my life. He created a hunger in me for his word, for more of him in my life. And God used that. That ended up being a sort of a pivotal moment in my late teen years that God used actually to to then stir me to want to go to Bible college. And it was just this weird season of my life that I had sort of come out of of, of just really blowing it before the Lord and, and knowing that my sin was, was this thing in my life that was damaging my relationship with the Lord, but then seeing God moving upon my life by His Spirit in a way that I didn't deserve. And to create a hunger in me for His Word that I didn't even have. It's not like I was trying to drudge up some sort of hunger. He just, He was working. And maybe you've experienced the same sort of thing. You know what happens when we find ourselves in a place spiritually where we lack in spiritual appetite for the word of God is sometimes we can just feel like it's okay. But you know, I get God's word at times. I'll go to church sometimes or maybe I go to church every week or every once in a while I'll listen to a Bible study or I'll, you know, I'll get like a verse of a day but But if we were to really spiritually diagnose what was going on in our lives, we would see that, man, that lack of spiritual hunger is is showing a deeper issue, a deeper issue that God's, God's wanting to actually draw us to himself so that we would go, Lord, I'm not, I'm not hungry like I should be, but Lord, would you do that within me? The people wanted to hear God's word. At this request, we see in verse 2 that Ezra did what the people asked for. He brought the law before the assembly. And notice in verse 2 who had gathered. It was men and women and all who could hear with understanding. All who could hear with understanding were assembled and wanted to hear God's word. And throughout this chapter, we're going to see multiple times this emphasis on understanding God's word. Any of you ever felt like you just don't understand the Bible? You come to say, you're just like, I don't understand. I still have those things. 
but to know that God wants us to understand. He doesn't want to leave us in the dark. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. This this emphasis on understanding is God going, this is what I want to do with you. (laughs) I can do this in you. And then in verse 3, we see that Ezra read from the book of the law of Moses from morning until midday. Literally, from from the moment that sort of the the first light came till the middle of the day, reading it to this great assembly of people who could hear with understanding. And we're told there that that the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Morning till midday means that Ezra read for, for roughly five to six hours. And the people were attentive the entire time. Isn't it interesting the things that we are attentive to? I mean, we can be, a, like, if we find a TV show or something, like, or you want to do, like, I'm going to watch all, you know, if you say, I'm going to watch, like, I'm going to do a Lord of the Rings marathon. I'm going to do a Star Wars marathon. I'm watching, like, I'm going to try to watch the first season of I Love Lucy. Whatever it is. Whatever your thing is. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to read this book. I'm going to, I'm going to, whatever that thing is that you can kind of give your attention to. Isn't it interesting that oftentimes when it comes to the, to the study of God's word, it can be so hard to pay attention for that amount of time. So much so that in our day, the prevailing thought among churches across, uh, uh, really the Western church in general, is that people just can't handle being in a Bible study for more than 20 minutes. Why? Because we've been programmed to not be able to sit and to listen and to pay attention. But what are we really saying? When we say, oh, people can't handle it, just do 15 to 20 minute little sermonettes. We're going, God, your, your word, the time in your word is not worth it. We can make time for lots of things, but time in your word, I don't really have the attention span for that. Five to six hours. And knowing us, knowing people in general, that can only be the Lord. Clearly, God was working here. But let's move on and look at verses 4 through 6. It says, So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose, and beside him at his right hand stood Mattathiah, Shema, Anaya, Urijah, Hilkiah, and Messiah, and at his left hand, Padeah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. We notice here there's no worship band. There's no smoke machine. There's no lasers or light show. There's no super hip preacher. Like there, he got. He's not even at this point. He's not even explaining. He's just reading through 
you know, who knows where he was at? Was he in Leviticus, Leviticus at this point? Was he in Deuteronomy? He's just reading through the book of the law of Moses. And the people are just losing it. They're, they're humbling themselves. They're, they're full of rejoicing. They're lifting their hands. They're shouting amen. And here's us in our Western church. Okay. In verse 4, we're, we're told that a platform of wood was made for the purpose of Ezra being able to stand on it to bring God's word to God's people. And it obviously was a platform big enough that these 13 other men who may have been other priests serving with Ezra could stand beside him to his right and his left. That The platform was not for the purpose of elevating Ezra and these 13 men to a place of greater prominence in the eyes of the people. No, it was for the purpose of elevating the Word of God to a place of greater prominence in the eyes and minds of God's people. It was a way of exalting the Word of God, which would then exalt the God of the Word. There's a passage of Scripture that says, you have, you have magnified your word above your very name. And how often have we given God's word that place of prominence in our lives where it truly is above all other things? Because it's, it's, it's in God's word that we find the God of the word. They wanted to exalt the word of God. But there also would have been a sort of a practical benefit too in having this platform in, in helping Ezra's voice carry from that platform to the huge crowd that had assembled to hear the word of God be read. And as we see in verse 5, when Ezra opened the book of the law, standing above all the people, which is how they all saw him opening it, he was visible. We're told that all the people stood up. No doubt as a sign of their respect, their reverence, their honor of God's word. And after they stood, Ezra blessed, he praised the Lord, the great God, which led to the people responding by saying, Amen. Amen, while lifting up their hands and then bowing their heads and worshiping the Lord with their faces to the ground. You know, the way these likely tens of thousands of Jewish people received God's word here reminded me in some ways of the way the believers in the church of Thessalonica received God's word in Paul's day. Not necessarily the saying amen or raising their hands or bowing their heads in worship, but really those things being a, a sign of, of the posture of their hearts, of how they were receiving God's word in this moment. Look at what we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writing to the believers there, he said, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing 
Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Whether it's the people in Nehemiah's day who are hearing God's word read by Ezra, whether it was the people in Paul's day there in Thessalonica who received God's word as Paul and others were preaching it. The the question for us is, how do we receive the word of God? Do we welcome it into our lives? Do we see it as it truly is, the word of God, that it is truth, every single bit of it? Do we take it in? Do we seek to apply it and live it out in faith and obedience so that God's word can work effectively in us who believe? Or is our view of God's word skewed? Is our value of God's word pretty low? We see it maybe more as the words of man fallible and not trustworthy. Or maybe even see it as more of a book of tips and suggestions than the authoritative words of the God of the universe. You know, a lot of Bible preaching that is prevalent in our day is like a life hack approach to God's Word. It's not suggestions, it's not tips. It's the fully inspired, living, and active, inerrant Word of God. These people were attentive to God's Word. They heard it and sought to understand it. They received it. They recognized the authority of God's Word in their lives, exalting it to its proper place, and they responded to the reading of God's Word as the Spirit of the Lord prompted them to do. Again, all the people answered, Amen! Amen! They lifted their hands, they bowed their heads, worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You know, we might be moved to say Amen while the Word of God is being taught, and I I think we could use more of that. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Just shows that we're engaged. We say amen, we're saying, I agree, so be it, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Amen. Do it. We don't have to be a reserved church. Do we want to be a distracting church? No. But it's not distracting to be biblical. It's not distracting to say amen. But these other two responses are not ones we would normally associate with happening during a Bible reading time. Probably more so during a time of worship through song, lifting hands, bowing our heads, worshiping the Lord with our faces to the ground. But notice that that didn't matter to these people. They didn't need a worship team. God's word was ministering to their hearts and they just wanted to thank and praise and worship the Lord as his word was being read. 
I think sometimes we miss out on that inward work of revival the Lord is wanting to do in us because we ignore or we say no to the promptings of the Lord, the promptings of His Spirit when He's drawing us to respond to Him and His Word and the work of His Spirit in our hearts. And this question or these questions I'm about to ask will help reveal the truth of what I just said. If the Lord moved upon our hearts right now, and maybe not right now, because right now is like, I'm like prepping you, right? Like now we feel like we have to say amen. Jared said there should be more amens, I'm going to amen him. We're talking, we're looking at these Israelites and they're raising their, okay, like this isn't a coaching moment here. If it was an uncoached moment, and the Lord began to move upon your heart, my heart, and pressed upon us to lift our hands and say, Amen, Amen. How many of us would respond in obedience to what the Spirit of God was prompting us to do? Or would we, would we say, not right now, Lord. That's going to, makes me feel awkward. <laughs> I mean, people are going to look at me. I don't know if I put deodorant on this morning. I don't know if I want to lift my hands that high. It's like the Sure commercial back in the day. You sure? (laughs) But why? Why would we not? If the Lord moved upon our hearts right now, your heart, my heart, or, or in a time of receiving the word he impressed upon us to bow our heads and worship the Lord with our faces to the ground, meaning that we prostrate ourselves before the Lord. How many of us would respond in obedience to what the Spirit of God was prompting us to do? Or would we say, the floor is pretty hard. I don't know that it's clean. I've seen cockroaches every once in a while in the corner of the room. I... Lord, I don't really have enough room to do that. You see, I've got like two squares in front of me. Or maybe you just would say, I'll look like a weirdo. If, if the Bible's being taught, and I just got down on my face before the Lord, man, people are gonna think, God, this guy's in major sin or there's something going on. He's having a mental breakdown. She's having a mental, no. Why? What happens in our hearts when the Spirit of God is moving upon our hearts and we're like resistant? Lord, move in the ways I'm comfortable with you moving in me. I mean, if, if I was to ask for a response, I, I think most of us would say that's what we do. I respond in ways that I feel comfortable with. And when I don't, I don't. Now, I'm not saying that saying amen or lifting your hands or getting on your face are are things the Lord is requiring each of us to do while his word is taught today because these were not things that people were told to do by Ezra or the others who were helping teach the people, but instead this was just their, their humble response to the work of God through his word in their hearts. I'm not saying that these things are how revival comes. This is the recipe. 
If you do, do these three things, you're going to experience revival. I'm not saying that either. And I'm not saying that those things are what show whether we're walking in faith-filled obedience to God's word or not. But what I am saying is that we will miss out on that inward work of revival the Lord wants to begin to do in us if we choose not to respond to him and his word and the work of his spirit in our hearts with humble and faith-filled obedience to whatever it is he's speaking to us and wanting to do in us. To be revived. You ever seen somebody that has passed out and they use that smelling salt stuff to help revive a person? First of all, that thing is not fun from what I've heard. That like burns your nose hairs off, right? But how many of us have find, found ourselves in a place where we're like, I see where God's word is, is wanting me to be. I see what God's wanting to do. But then when I look at my life, I'm going, not quite there. And sometimes there's just, we find ourselves, maybe there's a lack of desire to even get there. And we might find ourselves in that place and we just, we don't really know what to do with that. I think sometimes we just resolve to like go, well, maybe someday, maybe someday God will get me there. Maybe someday God will do these things in my life. Instead of just realizing in that moment the Spirit of God is wanting to meet you right now. It's always a right now sort of thing. That those moments that you, that the Lord kind of sparks something in your mind, yeah, you know what? God, you, you, you were stirring me in this way, but I never acted upon that thing. Lord, you were encouraging me this other day or last week or last, you were, you were really speaking to me about something or you were convicting me on an issue, but Lord, I didn't act upon that. And the moment that those things come into our hearts, the moment that the Spirit of God begins to bring those things to our minds, would we be a people who don't say, I don't feel comfortable with that. I'm not ready for that. But that we would say, Lord, have your way. Lord, revive me. Revive me. I was looking up dictionary definitions of the word revival and, you know, you look up revival and it's like, you don't look it up because it just, it's like, refers you to revive. Like, to be in the state of being revived. And you're like, now I have to look up revive. I mean, this app, every time it like gives me an ad afterwards. Anyways. Exactly. but to know that God sees us where we're at. And sometimes the state of where we're at is, you know, it's like, that's not the thing. <laughs> that's not the place. 
that God's wanting us to stay. For those things that we've sort of like resolved ourselves, like, well, I guess I'm just always going to struggle with this thing. And God's going like, I want to do something. I want to stir you. I want to revive you. I want to transform you. And to know that through the course of human history, that revival and the word of God has always gone hand in hand. You look at Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the whole Bible. What is it, 176 verses, I think. Only three of the verses don't specifically speak about the word of God. And I think nine times, if I'm remembering correctly, nine times in that chapter, the psalmist asks the Lord to revive him. And every time, that revival was connected to the work of the word of God in his life. You know, I think oftentimes we want, Lord, do this revival, but we don't want submission. We don't want obedience. We don't want surrender. Lord, bring revival, but we want to be revived in sort of whatever the thing is that we're doing, wherever it is that we're at. And God's like, cool, I want to revive you. I want to do that work in you. But will you submit yourself to my word? Will you bring yourself into alignment with my word? To know that God is not just capable of bringing revival, but that he desires to do it. Why? Because he didn't purchase our life with his precious blood so that we could just exist. I'm existing, surviving. No, he wants you to flourish. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to be fresh and flourishing and fruitful. And so would, you know, maybe we look at our lives and we're going, not that hungry for the Lord. I've lost my appetite for his word. God, bring us back. That was one of those dictionary definitions, to bring back, revive, to bring back. Lord, bring me back to you. Bring me back to that place that you want me to be and do the work that only you can do. You know, we want to pray, Lord, do bring a revival and we're looking out. We look at our country and we're Lord, revive, bring revival. It's like, revival always starts with an individual. Maybe you've heard that, draw a circle around you and then pray for God to bring revival there. Bring revival, Lord, to me. Look at the work that God did through Ezra. Look at the work that God did through Nehemiah. I would argue that there was a work of revival that happened in both of those men's lives. And the work of revival that started in them, it affected the entire nation. But it started with one. It may be for us today, we're looking at ourselves and we're going, Lord, start with me. Start with me. 
and that we would know in all of our Bible reading, all of our Bible studying, that all of it is meant to bring us to Jesus. Jesus told the Jews of his day who were just not on board with him, John chapter 5. He's like, look, you search the scriptures because in them that you think that you have eternal life. But these are they that speak of me. The scriptures speak of Jesus. The scriptures point us to Jesus. It's the written word that leads us to the living word, Jesus Christ. And this morning, man, Jesus is so good. He's looking at us and he sees us where he's at, we're at and he's like, but I want to do more in you. And we'll pick up the study next week in part two as we continue on. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. Look, this morning, I, I don't want to talk about revival and talk about all these things without saying, look, this morning for some of us, we might be finding ourselves in a position where, you know, what, where we're at is we respond the way that's comfortable to us. Or maybe we've resolved to just kind of be in a, a state spiritually before the Lord where he's going, that's not where I want you to stay. That's not where I want you to be. And maybe for us this morning, if that's you, that you would just stand and just say, Lord, revive me today. Lord, do a fresh work in my life today, God. J. Edwin Orr, guy who loved to preach about revival, he, he defined revival as the the work of the Spirit of God through the Word of God in the lives of the people of God. We have people of God here. It's the Spirit of God moving in your life today that you would stand and say, look, that's me. Lord, revive me. Lord, bring revival in my life. Is that anybody else this morning? You're not unspiritual to stand. You wouldn't be unspiritual to go in the side of the room and lay with your face down on the ground. You wouldn't be spiritual to say amen. You wouldn't be spiritual to lift your hands, but just to say, Lord, that's me. God, do something in me. Awesome. Lord, I pray for these that have stood this morning and just say, Lord, God, bring revival in my life. God, those things that you're desiring to do in me, Lord, do them. God, I submit myself to your word. Lord, I surrender myself to you afresh and anew right now. Lord, God, take me from where I am. And Lord, by your spirit, Lord, through your word, work in my life. Make me fresh and flourishing and fruitful in Jesus. God, a thriving, Lord, not a surviving, but a flourishing, Lord. That Jesus, I would be drawn deeper in fellowship with you. Lord, that my life would be radically transformed to look more and more like you. Jesus, have your way with me today. 
And just to trust that as we pray that, as our hearts are open to the Lord, as we humble ourselves before him, that he says, yes, (laughs) yes, I got you. And so, Lord, meet each one. Lord, pour out your spirit upon them. God, if any of them are lacking in spiritual hunger, a spiritual appetite for your word, Lord, restore. Lord, a voracious hunger for you, Lord, that would drive them to the scriptures because in the scriptures they find Jesus. In the scriptures they're drawn to Jesus. And so, Lord, be at work. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to have you guys take a seat. If there's anybody else this morning, and maybe for you, it's not a, a work of revival that's needed. It's just, you know what it is? It's a work of salvation that's needed. Maybe you came in here separated from God because of your sin. And the only thing that the Lord is calling you to do this morning is that you would humble yourself before Him. Repent. Repent, it's an amazing, amazing word. It's an amazing thing to be able to turn away from the things that are gonna send us to hell to turn to the Lord and grab a hold of him fully and surrender to receive his free gift of salvation by grace through faith. If you've come this morning and you've not experienced the salvation of Jesus, if you've, if you've never had your sins forgiven, Would you stand where you're at this morning so I can pray for you? If that's anybody at all and you're just going, that's me. And I want God to do a work in my life. I want to be made a new creation in Christ Jesus. If that's anybody this morning. Lord, as we respond to your word now, God, help us to truly respond not as we feel comfortable, but Lord, as you're, as you're prompting us to. Lord, to truly worship you, Lord, with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. To see, Lord, that our worship of you, Lord, is not just connected to times of song. But God, that the posture of our heart, Lord, throughout the day how we serve each other, how we love one another, how we receive your word, how we pray, how we do our work. Lord, all of it would be an act of worship to you. And so God, would you move in this place? Lord, would you have your way among us, inside of us, Lord, through us? And we just say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your great love for us, God. Father, we continue to worship you now, Lord, through these songs, the taking of communion. Lord, minister to hearts, God, as those get who need prayer and uh, go to the corner to receive it, Lord. Would you, Lord, be working? Thank you, Father. We give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen.